Hello, and welcome to Radio SGN. I am one of your humble hosts, A.V. Eichenbaum, pronouns they, them, and with me, as always, joined by a special canine guest, is Lindsay Anderson. Lindsay, how are you? I'm doing great. Oh, that's Ella. There Ella, she come is. In. She is a seven-month-old dachshund puppy that belongs to my cousin, and I will be watching her for the next week, so... It's good for me. You're a big dog person, huh? I am a big dog person. Um, And, you know, having Ella here, so I have my dog. We've talked about him a lot on the show, Peter. um, His drag name is Patricia. Classic. And he's a Chawini. He's on Instagram, if anybody wants to find him. You know, I think he's lonely. He just, he has, like, the essence of a person trapped in a dog's body. And he is aware of mortality. Um, (laughs) And so... I'm, you know, constantly kind of looking on Pet Finder to find him a friend, but now that Ella's here, he hates her. Um, I think it's because he's, like, a grouchy old man, and she is, like, a teenage girl. They just don't get along. Sure. Um, but I was looking on Pet Finder to find, you know, an- another grouchy old man dog to be friends with Peter, and I didn't find that, but what I did find was um, I found a dog named Ash, and I found a dog named Lindsay, and I'd like to share my screen... <laughs> Please. And show you yeah, our absolutely. dog counterparts. I would love to see that. So, can you see this? This is Ash, the dog. We have the same eyes. You do? <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, four-month-old, 24-pound cattle dog puppy mm. from Texas. So cute, right? Adorable. But then now you got to see Lindsay. Okay. <laughs> this is Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> she looks like a cat. She's a Mexican hairless dog. She's a a mixed, a chihuahua mix. Yeah. Maybe some rat terrier in there. I love (laughs) the pink sweater. Oh, and then there's this picture of her. If you can see it, she's wearing Mm -hmm. a dress here. (laughs) She just looks miffed. She She looks so upset. (laughs) They were like, we found her as a stray. And I was like, that checks out. Yeah. Um, Wow. So, obviously, I have already contacted them about adopting my namesake. Yes. I, I mean, I don't know if they'll get back to me. I don't think they would. Of course. Um, but I would not change her name either, as I would have this dog, and she would yeah. just be Lindsay, my dog. I think I like Ash here more than I like Ash me. Another fun dog fact I learned this week is the oldest dog ever was a cattle dog named Bluey. And she lived to be 30 years old. I mean, that's loyalty, you know? That's reliability. If any listeners out there want their own Ash or Lindsay, PetFinder.com. Well, folks, as you've surely gleaned by now from our conversation, this is the one and only podcast for Seattle Gay News. Seattle's premier gay news media source since 1974. We've got just a great episode coming up for you. David Quantic joined me in the studio. He's, of course, the producer and former host of the Fruit Bowl podcast. Uh, Let's get right down to it. Were there any stories that stuck out to you today? I mean, again, without like plugging too much, um, don't say gay bill action. There have been more updates um, with Florida students protesting. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, that's courtesy of our friends over at Freedom Socialist. Hey, shout out in solidarity, uh, Margaret Vigiani. Good to hear from you guys. Thank you for reaching out with that story. Students protesting Florida's bigoted legislation warms my cold, dead heart. Student activism is so important. Speaking of warming my cold, dead heart, it's spring. And spring means pink petals everywhere. Kylan Brown reporting on the cherry blossoms happening. Lindsay, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I actually, I went down to UW um, and... Me and Isabel, because we can get away with it because I look like a child, we (laughs) dressed up like college students, put on backpacks, and walked around cosplaying as UW students. Somebody even asked us for directions. And um, it was crazy. You know, it was beautiful, but it was so many people. There were, I think, more people than, like, petals on the ground. Yeah. Um, Have you ever gone to the UW Cherry Blossoms? Yeah, I've only been once or twice during the season because normally I've got a day job. But Gabby was a student in the engineering department over at UW. Great program. Uh, One time we hung out in the U 
uh, for a bit, I had some time off. Some, I think my grandfather had died. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I stood in the rain for a while. And there were... There's no cute way to put this story. Uh, yeah, it was fine. Yeah. There are cherry blossoms in my neighborhood, though. And oh, nice. I grew up with a cherry blossom tree back home, so this is really... I don't know, it's a nice time of year. Uh, looking for the little sparks of joy mm-hmm. in all of that gray, you know? Yeah. I mean, springtime always reminds me of these trees. I forget what they're called, but they're they're an invasive species. They're so beautiful, but they smell like ass. Like, that's the best way to put it. They're like a type of pear tree. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember my first encounter with them was they were all over my neighborhood when I was walking home from the bus stop um, in middle school. And I smelled them and I thought it was me and I was like terrified. Yeah, I think it's called the Bradford pear. It's like an ornamental pear tree and they are supposed to be very sturdy in the wind and they're supposed to be like really hardy and beautiful. Um... But no one decided to test them out before putting them in every suburban neighborhood in the country. And so we just have this huge problem with these disgusting trees. (laughs) I think another thing that was so interesting going down and experiencing the craziness of the cherry blossom trees. Like, these people are going insane for them. Because, you know, you mentioned you have a cherry blossom tree in your neighborhood. I have them in my neighborhood. Like, I don't think you actually have to go to UW to see them, but it's like every single person and their aunt wants to go there. And it was so many people with kids taking pictures of their kids. But then because, you know, the millennials can't afford kids, there was also people with their dogs. Mm -hmm. And my favorite, we like took pictures of this couple. They had a fluffy little white dog and they were like holding her up, like way up above their heads, like Simba to like get the perfect picture of her with the blossoms and the guy like put her on the branch at one point and I was like this dog is gonna fall um but I was like that dog is an influencer somewhere sometimes I see things like that and I think to myself if there is some sort of crisis or apocalyptic event I know exactly who will not survive (laughs) and the dog owners it's not the dog owners themselves it's those dog owners you know (laughs) it's the people that met at a starbucks but actually they met at two different starbucks across the street and they caught eyes and you know and then they walked across and then they were they missed each other and then came back decided they were no longer you know frappuccino people they they've moved up yeah you just don't know my dog Uh, have you seen Best in Show? <laughs> or was that all garbage? I, I love Best in Show. That was yeah, like... That's one of my favorite movies. I feel like I did watch it. Yeah, I, I get I, it. Just yeah. without her there, but yeah. Not to get too off topic, but I just finished watching Shit's Creek, which is a queer masterpiece for anybody looking for a good binge show. And I did not realize that Moira from Shit's Creek was in Best in Show. Yeah. Yeah, and so is Gene Levy. Yeah. Is he the two left feet guy? Yeah. Yeah, he is. This is the greatest comedy movie ever. Honestly, I will, I will die on that stump. Did you did you end up watching Shit's Creek? No, I uh, cringe comedy really. I feel bad for the people in it, and I I have a hard time enjoying laughing at other people's pain, which is it's sort of like with true crime shit. Like I can listen to things about cults, right? Mm-hmm. But as soon as it gets into, like, child murder, I can't do it. Yeah. And for some reason, the I have the same visceral reaction to child murder that I do to, like, shows like Shit's Creek. <laughs> I gotta talk to my therapist about that, I think. It is so cringe, but it's, it's I mean, such a good show. Gabby's a big fan. Yeah. And it is funny. I've seen clips. I just can't, I can't watch a full 20-minute block. Yeah. I feel that one of my best friends in college was like that to the point where like we couldn't watch any Adam Sandler movies at all. <laughs> like, oh god, we tried to watch Hubie Halloween and she was like, I feel so bad for him. Everybody's being mean to him. And we're like, that's an Adam Sandler movie is he makes himself the victim of bullying. That's yeah. like the plot of every Adam Sandler movie. Yeah, I think it's like the opposite. It's like it's the people that don't know they're being cringe. Ah. 
even if it's like that's how it's written right yeah. and it's like it's the people themselves i don't give a shit if people react poorly to them because they deserve it at that point but it's like why don't you make better decisions this is the problem right mm-hmm. aristotle once wrote that we like comedies because the people in comedies are worse than we are mm-hmm. and that's been true for thousands of years and that is true but it's hard it's tough yeah that's my big white guy philosophy statement for the episode (laughs) we need at least one (laughs) so back to the paper go for it i was gonna say i'd love to talk about the vandalism although i wrote about that so i don't want to be like pretentious let's talk about tacoma yeah so there is a series of different murals that were god peter does not like vandalism if you can hear that yeah um peter it's okay your dog sounds terrifying but he's like he's like a foot long (laughs) he is a foot long um he's nine pounds jesus find him on instagram here he is it's peter what's what's peter's instagram handle you've mentioned it like three times peter's instagram handle is at stinky pd boy boy spelled b-o-i because he's fancy like that. This is the way the world burns, you know? Yeah. Uh, stinky Petey Boy. <laughs> at Stinky Petey Boy B-O-I. Yes. Check him out. Find the fabulous Patricia Merch on the Radio SGN uh, merch page. That's uh, seattlegaynews.redbubble.com. So a racist vandalized yeah. mural, I am Tacoma. Yes. And that's what you wrote about. I did. So this mural, it's on the side of a youth ministry building. And it's it's absolutely beautiful, especially if you get the chance to look at it before it was vandalized. Um, but the artist really wanted to create something where people could take pictures in front of it. So it's a lot of butterfly wings. And he has four faces of children coming together, and they are all children of different races. Last week, video footage showed a man pulling up in his SUV and painting black paint over just the black child. After this vandalism happened, a few days later, he returned again and painted over the rest of the children's faces. Yeah, it's funny to me that he was like, I'm going to be a racist. And then he was like, you know, I don't want people to think I'm that kind of racist. (laughs) And he came back and did everyone else's faces. He also left the butterflies untouched. There are these beautiful monarch butterflies gorgeously painted here on this mural completely untouched by the vandal. What I thought was so interesting about the story is the fact that the guy returned to the scene of the crime and continued vandalizing it. And it's like... He had a change of heart. (laughs) Yeah. Which is very Pacific Northwest in its own way. Yeah. Guys, I'm equally racist to everyone. The other thing that I think is so interesting is um, the artist who goes by Perico the Artist on social media mentioned that... They know who the vandal is. Like, he's this guy that yells racist things at people in Tacoma, but nobody's released his name. I don't know. It's just, I'm like, are we going to actually treat this seriously? I mean, that's the crime beat, right? Like, Mm -hmm. people don't like to talk about things to the press. Yeah. That's what I found a lot when I was coming up working the crime beat is people would be like, yeah, we know who it is. And this is my name. Please don't share it. And this is their name. I don't want it in the paper. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's it's like, what do you think I'm going to do? It's not like they're going to read the SGN and be like, oh, my God, people know I'm a racist because he's already on tape. They already know who he is. They're not going to be like, oh, I'm suing the person who released this information that is very publicly known. Yeah. But people get skittish around reporters, especially when it comes to crime. The the part of the story where we talked about uh, Dave McMillan, the chairman of the Pierce County Republican Party, who yeah. reacted to the story on Facebook with a laughing emoji, and then when asked about it, uh, backtracked and said that it was a mistake. And he did not mean to laugh at the vandalism and the racism. Um, I thought that was interesting, and I did not include McMillan's whole statement to me in the article because he went on to complain about the guy that made the TikTok that included the information that he had laughed at this post. And he he didn't talk much about racism. He talked about how he hates vandalism and how he hates people accusing him of being a racist. Lindsay Anderson, the merciful. I would not have been as kind. Uh, (laughs) uh, Switching gears real quick. I attended a diversity summit 
on Monday the 4th and Tuesday the 5th of April. Partially as a participant, but mostly as an observer, we were invited as sort of media sponsors, so our logo was up there. It was sponsored by the Seattle Seahawks. You know, other teams like professional and amateur had representatives there. It was, a, you know, I'm not a huge sports person, so I can understand why people maybe don't care so much about the importance of diversity being amplified by a national football team. The big deal here is that we're getting a message from a team that is under national scrutiny that they want to progress and move forward and be accepting on a grander scale and they want to make people realize or spread the message that it's okay to be gay which in a lot of red states a lot of right-wing neighborhoods right-wing areas that watch sports like this that's not okay you know there's a lot of controversy we look to the las vegas raiders one of their teammates came out as gay carl nasib yep and he just got this outpouring of love and acceptance, and that's beautiful. It was not, you know, 100% supported. Think back to the Trump administration. My parallel here is, like, you see the reaction to Colin Kaepernick taking a knee because of racism in 2016, right? And how far we've come, uh, hopefully, as a sort of a more accepting society, one would hope. It's good to see an organization like the NFL, has teams that want to support diversity, not just in the LGBTQ plus community, but in all sorts of uh, communities as well. I got to speak a little bit about how we have a lot of strong bisexual and lesbian women and trans women working on our team, and I was, you know, thrilled to sort of promote that. We got a really good reception. We got a really good reception from from people and people really love the paper. I was just overwhelmed with the support and not everyone there was from the Seattle area. There were people from all over the country. I feel like this is a very important step to be taken in national sports news because I feel like the NFL is one of, if not the most um, homophobic kind of sports hub. You know what I mean? Like I feel like other sports, especially sports that have a women's alternative, have really gotten with pride and acceptance of the LGBTQ mm -hmm. community. I'm thinking like women's basketball, women's hockey, women's soccer, um, but the NFL doesn't have that. It's also such a hub for sometimes toxic masculinity that I think it can make it hard and sometimes a risk of violence, um, either verbal or physical, for uh, queer men to come out on such a uh, main stage like that. They had a representative from the oil rain over there uh, talking about how he wants to move forward in terms of gender, make it gender all-inclusive. I don't know if you watch a lot of women's soccer as a soccer player yourself. I'm sure you keep tabs on it a little bit, but our soccer teams in the U.S., our women's soccer teams, kick ass. Yeah. Like, we're World Cup champions a couple years back. Oh, yeah. I'm very proud of the U.S. soccer team, but I think that Seattle's women's soccer team is also um, the best in the country. I mean, we have all the big names from the U.S. team, um, like Megan Rapinoe's over here. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you had just mentioned bringing in gender diversity as well, and we have the first non-binary soccer player on the OL reign right now. Um, I've tried to reach out to Quinn, too. I wanted to cover this for the SGN um, when they made the switch because they're Canadian soccer player and they played for Canada in the World Cup. Dual citizenship, I believe. So I, I don't know. I always kind of geek out about that too. I love seeing, I, I follow Quinn on Instagram. Not to downplay the importance of the pro teams, but there were also panelists from local queer centric teams, LGBTQ plus mm -hmm. centric teams like Rainbow City Softball spoke a lot uh, about trans acceptance. I briefly met the head of USA Quidditch, which I was... I didn't know that was a real thing. Yeah, it's a real thing, um, which is weird because as a Quidditch fan myself, I knew who she was already. The only person in the room I knew before they spoke, I didn't want to be weird though, and I hadn't had any coffee yet. They spoke about wanting to create a more inclusive space when Quidditch has a really heavy tie to a transphobe. You know, and trying to separate the uh, sport from the artist, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, we, we also had people from Queer City Sports, Cascade Flag Football, Emerald City Softball, and uh, Cheer Seattle, who uh, on occasion would just do some cheers, which was really cool. I don't want that to sound like an insult. Like, it was really great. They were all fantastic. 
it was a great experience, and I, I hope you read the full piece because I'm not even scratching the surface of sort of what happened and the importance of it. So I feel like maybe we should cut to break, uh, get some ads in, and then I had a lovely conversation with Dave Quantic of the Fruit Bowl podcast, talking about all sorts of things. Stay tuned for all that and more after the break. Radio SGN is brought to you by... Condor Airlines, offering year-round non-stop flights from SeaTac International Airport to Frankfurt, Germany, with easy connections to many European cities including Munich, Paris, and Amsterdam, and other worldwide destinations. Condor is also a partner and member of the Alaska Airlines Mileage Program. Earn miles on every Condor and Alaska Airlines flight. Enjoy business, premium, or economy class, and let your next adventure begin with Condor. More information on Condor.com. Condor. Born to fly. The Washington Department of Health. The Washington Department of Health is partnering with Seattle Gay News in order to bring you up-to-date information about your vaccination. For more information, go to doh.wa.gov or cdc.gov vaccines. That's doh.wa.gov or cdc.gov vaccines. Hi, this is Dr. V. Hill with V. Hill Family Medicine. Ever wish your doctor knew you by name? understood where you were coming from, and listened to your unique health concerns and worries? I have built just such a practice where the focus is on you and the care delivered is in line with your values and ideals. Learn more about affirming primary care at Hill Family Medicine. Visit VIGILMD.com or call 253-693-0071. Joining me today, we have someone I'm very, very excited to introduce to you. He is a <laughs> filmmaker and editor. Uh, his short films have been screened worldwide. He came to Seattle to work for the Queer Film Festival, and he's the creator and host of a podcast called Fruit Bowl, a show about queer love and sex of all stripes. Please join me in welcoming David Quantic. Hello. Dave, thank you so much for being on the show. No problem. Let's jump right into it. How do you find people? You know, how do you breach that subject uh, for your show? Queer sex is really touchy. Mm. You mean like for potential guests? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, most of the people that are saying yes to me lately are people who have already heard the podcast and are familiar with the format and the questions that I ask. Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot of like selling of of the podcast, but I do like to tell them that it's a podcast about queer sex and coming of age. And I have a standard like 20 questions I ask everyone and it kind of leads them through their coming of age years and also the their adult years and what they've learned along the way in terms of their sexual preferences and um, identities like how they define themselves with their queer identity, especially as it relates to sex. So it's a pretty straightforward format, and it's the same for everyone. I ask the same questions to everyone. So I think the listeners who are regular start to learn sort of what the standard questions are. So a lot of your guests already kind of know what's coming. There's no surprises. Yeah, exactly. The The questions sort of lend themselves to a structure and in that they start from someone's childhood and like my first question is, when did you first learn about sex? Not even how it works or the specifics of it, but just, you know, what it is. Um, just the fact that sex exists. And then I, I follow them all the way through until their current selves, you know. And my last question is, if you could go back and tell yourself one thing you've learned along the way in your sort of journey to sexual discovery, what would that be? So it, it's very um, comprehensive, and it's almost kind of like a therapy session in a way. It does have that therapeutic quality to it, and it's in its fourth season now. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And you're not the only host. In your later seasons, you've got uh, Syra and Rebecca. Uh, you want to talk about that a little? Yeah. Um, I occasionally have guest hosts, or um, I mostly I'll have like um, – 
people come on who I've interviewed more than a year ago. And, and so that they can kind of update listeners as to what they've been doing in the meantime. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of interviews like pre-pandemic. Oh, okay. um, so there's been, of course, a gap between <laughs> recording their initial interview and actually producing it into a podcast episode. So I, I just like to check in with people. Um, so yeah, I've started to do that this season because, you know, people are always changing. They're always evolving mm. sexually. Um, just because we come of age and decide we're gay doesn't mean that we stop changing and evolving. Sexuality and gender are very fluid. Mm-hmm. And like, especially with regards to, say, top or bottom or monogamous or polyamorous um, kinks. Kinks often develop later in life. Um, maybe we want to mix things up and spice things up on along our way. So... Definitely what I've learned most, biggest takeaway for me with this project is is just how how much we're, we're always changing and evolving. Yeah, and I love that. And it, with a subject that is so diverse and fluid and hard to tackle, what was the catalyst uh, getting started with this project? What made you want to do this? Yeah, great question. I mean, it's because it is such a hard topic to talk about that I wanted to face it head on because there really weren't any podcasts doing that. And I still don't know of any that are quite doing it in the way that I am in that I'm treating sex as the main subject. You know, sometimes it'll pop up or people will talk about something like a topic like protection or prep or top or bottom or kink or whatever in, in sort of separate terms. But I like to be more comprehensive and and ask people more directly about it because it is so hard to talk about and it's not something that we're taught to talk about. Um, like one of my questions is, did your parents ever have the talk with you? And the answer is almost always no. Um, and also I ask if, if people have received any formal education about sex and that's often, the answer is often no. You know, like people are split up in grade school between the boys and girls and they're taught sort of general things about puberty, but there's not a lot of sex education going on in the U S right now, especially. Uh, yeah. I actually feel very fortunate because we did have a more comprehensive sex ed, uh, where I grew up, you know, and it's kind of, Oh wow. Where is that? Uh, Gilroy, California. It's like nowhere. Okay. But we also had like highest teen pregnancy rate in the oh, county. Right. <laughs> so maybe it wasn't as uh, comprehensive. <laughs> as I thought it was. Uh, my parents also gave me this like book from the 70s, this like cartoon book. I don't know if you've seen it, um, but it's, mm-hmm. yeah, it was pretty wild, but very straight. Yeah. You know, it, like none of this covered LGBTQ sex or queer sex at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you think that it would uh, in this day and age. Right. And that's the other thing I wanted to mention is like, so not a lot of us were educated about sex in school or by our parents. But even if we were, it would most definitely be about straight sex and traditional PIV um, Uh intercourse. And so, you know, a lot of queer people start from knowing absolutely nothing. And a lot of us are educated through porn, which, you know, for queer people can be instructive on, on some basic like kind of physical level, like this is where some bodies go and this is how it's done sort of mechanically speaking but not a lot of us get a lot of um education or exposure to say you know how to how to negotiate uh, a scene you know like even just one-on-one um there's not a lot of information there's not a lot of conversation around consent and and that sort of thing so you know it puts a lot of queer people at risk Mm -hmm. for being um, taken advantage of. Mm. So I, I think I think of my pod as not only being entertaining and, and provoking, you know, thought provoking, but also kind of a necessity because yeah. there's not a lot of formal instruction um, when it comes to, or, or at least like there's not a lot of conversation when it comes to queer sex. Mm-hmm. And I, this is weird for me because I didn't grow up with, access to the internet so it's like a whole other ball game i felt a lot of the time like i was kind of behind uh 
you know what I mean? Mm. And it, in the end, you know, it feels like no one really knows what they're doing, and porn certainly didn't help. <laughs> and what I really like about your show is that I don't remember really what mm. what the episode was, but it was sort of a gut punch for me. It was so visceral, and it was about a guy growing up with a bunch of sisters and being attracted to their boyfriends and not quite knowing what to do with that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was just... I mean, I had a, a similar but not the same situation. It was very, very relatable, and I feel like there's a lot of people out there that would find your show very relatable, especially since it's something that we don't talk about. Right, right. Yeah, a friend of mine said that my pod was the definition of relatable content. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I was really flattered when he said that, but I, hmm. I really try hard to ask questions and follow-up questions about subjects that I know a lot of people are going to want to know more about, even if it's not necessarily their kink or their scene, or mm-hmm. if, if if they're not even the same gender as the person being interviewed, there is going to definitely be something in each person's interview that you will be able to relate to as a queer person. Yeah, And that's, I think, a really special thing to experience when you're, when you're listening to something that's so deeply personal um, is to know that you're not alone. Um, I tell people that this project is what I wished I'd heard when I was just coming out, mm. you know, cause I grew up in the late eighties in a very small town in Kansas near Wichita, which is like a large city. So there were queer people around, but most of them were like cruising in public parks. And so that's the only place I could ever meet other queer people. And there weren't a lot of like deep conversations going on <laughs> when I was cruising public parks. Yeah, and, and I remember just longing to want to just have a conversation with them and to ask them, how do you, how are you even supposed to be gay like how does it (laughs) how does it even work like am I just destined to be alone all my life I mean that's really what I thought at the time you know and I I wished I'd had something like this where I could just listen to other people's stories and understand and and know how they um how they came to be out you know and Mm -hmm. uh functioning in in the real world (laughs) as an out as an out queer person yeah, I guess that is one big thing. Uh, you know, it's a sort of a generational thing, especially because we did have the internet, and I said I didn't have it, you know, earlier, but by high school I did because it was necessary for for projects. Yeah. But, you know, we had that sort of community. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had DeviantArt and stuff, which kind of did tribalize us a little bit, mm. but we had to find our niche, yeah. you know? Yeah, it was like a really big thing. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I, I can't even imagine doing stuff pre-internet in that way without the resources, you know. Well, one big takeaway from me, and I think becomes quite obvious when you listen to the pod with, you know, multi-generational subjects, is that the internet is like a dividing line between the two generations. Like once the internet came around and people could access media and could connect and communicate with people beyond their personal sphere easily, Mm. it was a complete game changer for queer people, you know? And there's a reason why um, a lot of queer people are early adopters of technology is because we find peace and some, some, some meaning in connection, even if it's over a long distance. Um, mm-hmm. So that that's one big thing that I think has been a generational divide. Um, obviously, like people my age, we've learned how to use the internet too. So, you know, before the internet, I, I guess I had magazines and not all of them pornographic. You know, there were some queer magazines that I really cherished. Um, I guess I would occasionally find articles written in local newspapers or mm. or uh, local queer newspapers that I would often pick up. You know, things like Seattle Gay News were, were deeply important to me because I could read about my my culture, 
you know? Right. So that's, that's probably been a, the biggest, one of the biggest takeaways when interviewing younger people is how easily accessed uh, queer culture was through the internet. Yeah, you know, I guess it really was. Um, of course, growing up bisexual and not really thinking mm-hmm. about it, I did just that. I didn't really think about it. My friends were queer and yeah, they were into what they were into and I just didn't really relate always. I feel like I'm a little behind sometimes, mm. you know, not having that sort of jump start because, I mean, I mentioned DeviantArt earlier and while well, my friends all kind of knew that, I didn't really think mm. about it too hard uh you know what are we gonna get like shrek on sonic action you know (laughs) but even even now it's like i feel like dating i'm a little behind Mm. well let me let me just say that i completely understand you you thinking that but i would like to say that another big takeaway is that even if people had early access to queer media or even if their parents were cool with them being queer that doesn't always translate into a super smooth coming of age adolescence when it comes to queer subject matter and identity i feel like everyone has their roadblocks and some bumps along the way and yeah, it's just part of um, coming of age. So I completely understand what you're saying, but the truth is, like, I feel like all of us have um, obstacles in our path, and and we all find ways around them or or moving past them. I mean, coming of age is always going to be messy, right? Right. I, know. I feel like a smooth coming of age means that there's something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, maybe if you've had a smooth coming of age, you might find adulthood kind of difficult. You know, I feel like sometimes coming of age adolescents that are challenging often prepare us for adulthood <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> I don't know. At some point in your life, you're going to have to overcome some obstacles, you know, one way or another. Yeah, uh, there's no getting around it, I guess. Uh, we're almost out of time. Uh, before we head out, uh, is there anything you would like to say to our listeners? Um, yeah, just I'd love for people to check out the pod. And you can find a full archive at fruitballpodcast.com. And, you know, if you listen to a few and you think you might be interested in, in contributing your story, I'm always looking for new interviewees, especially here in the Seattle area, because I live here and it's super easy for me to get to you. I do all my interviews in person and I also film them um, on video for a future documentary. So that's kind of also the reason why the interviews are so intimate um, is because I'm, I'm there in the room with people. So yeah, uh, check it out and uh, give me you know, you can you can contact me through the website, and if you want, you can uh, just reach out and let me know if you want to talk to me. Oh, and I thought to myself, you know, in-person interviews, fancy. Um, <laughs> yeah, so all of that will be in the show notes, uh, including where you can find the Fruit Bowl podcast. Yep. Well, it's, I should also say that you can find it on, on all the podcast platforms, too, so... Um, yeah, check it out. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much for being here. And um, yeah, thanks for being on the show, Dave. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It was really fun. Hello. Before we get back to the show, I do want to let you guys know that if you like us, you can support us directly by going to anchor.fm slash Seattle dash gay dash news slash support and clicking that support button. Every little bit helps. Starting at 99 cents a month, you can be a part of history by supporting Seattle Gay News directly. That's right, we've been around since 1974. This podcast is only part of the legacy that you could be helping support by clicking on that support button. 
As an added bonus, every donor will get a shout out on the show. And while you're there, you can go ahead and leave us a voice message free of charge. And maybe you'll get some airplay. That includes hate mail if we think it's funny enough. Remember, that's anchor.fm slash seattle dash gay dash news slash support. And now, back to the show. I have a new segment for you, Lindsay. As managing editor and acting editor-in-chief, I have a phone on my desk. And that means I answer the phone when I'm in the office. And that means I get a bunch of leads to things that maybe I can't follow up on. Uh, or that can't be explained. Mysterious problems that sound like they're out of science fiction. And so I would like to introduce to you a new segment, uh, who knows how often it'll happen, called SGN X-Files. So I got a call a few weeks ago from a man named Robert Watson, uh, from Antioch, California, who said he had spoken to George last year, uh, George Bacon. Uh, okay. So we're starting there, starting strong. And I said, he's like, well, maybe it was before the pandemic. And I was like, okay. Oh, so he didn't talk to him, like, through the grave? No. Okay. He said that he had reached out about a missing NSA computer file that had been stolen from his computer and was being used against him and his husband. And he felt that the mayor of Antioch, California, isn't helping him because he's a gay black man. He was, when we spoke, he was very calm, very sure of himself. I thought when he called that someone was blackmailing him with, like, bank information or something. That's why I decided to have him send over the dossier. But as I continued to read, it just got more and more buck wild. I'm like, well, um, I'll do what I can. You know, this seems interesting. I'm following up on this lead. Uh, send me any information you have. And he mails me a document. And this document, I just got this week, it's about 80 pages long, partially handwritten, and it outlines the theory that Mr. Watson has that his 37-year-old former associate stole an NSA-related file. It's, it's referred to only as the stolen NSA file. Real quick, can you explain to me what NSA stands for? The National Security Agency. Okay. So Mr. Watson, it turns out, was a Navy officer. Um, he's, he's now close to his 70s. He's trying to reach out, he says, to the FBI, a restraining order out against this, uh, I'm just not going to name them. Okay. In 2014, allegedly, this person stole a file from Mr. Watson's home computer and has been using it to enact physical degradation and health problems on Mr. Watson and his husband through, quote, our PG&E. PG&E is the Pacific Gas and Electric company that owns the electricity in all of California. So Mr. Watson has put out a restraining order and it has been rejected multiple times partially because this person lives in a different county and partially because the reason he's saying he's being abused is because a stolen computer file is causing physical harm to his liver and his eyes are getting worse because of this stolen document. I read 80 pages of handwritten letters, court documents, mental health documents, and other he things. He mental health documents? People from the county came to say, hey, you, you qualify for government aid because you're of a certain age, and he and his partner rejected it. In the documents, it says he told these government nurses about this alleged assailant, who is a 37-year-old man, um, allegedly a schizophrenic, maybe some sort of hacking genius, and is using the radio waves from their electricity, allegedly, to cause health problems in Mr. Watson. Now, I know a thing or two about computers, and I promised Mr. Watson I would give this some thought, and so that's why I'm sharing it here. Now, I do think it's really interesting. This is not the first person that's contacted me with one of these X-Files, but this is the first one I'd like to talk about. Oh, God, I have so many questions. Okay, shoot. Could a computer actually cause any kind of liver problems? It's very, very unlikely that this is the case. Okay. Yeah, well, it's what I thought, but, you know, not a stemicist. I grew up in Silicon Valley area. I learned a lot about computers. I'm no expert, but I have a working knowledge of how 
certain systems work. So I'm going to try to go through as quickly as possible and as non-judgmentally as possible because I know computers and technology can be really scary. And when you've worked for the government, you know they're capable of a whole bunch of shit. But the thing is, these, the alleged assailant is not a government official. And it's not clear how they met, even. I'm not going to speculate about that. What I can tell everyone listening at home is that if you delete a file from your computer, there are remnants of it in your computer. You can maybe reconstruct it if you have the right software. If you delete a file from your computer, it goes directly to your recycle bin. You can almost certainly reconstruct it. If your computer is over a decade old and there is a file that was on that computer that you no longer own by your own admission, which is what it says here in the paperwork, it's probably not going to be causing you physical harm. PG&E is its own system. It's the grid of California, whatever grid your internet is connected to. Separate companies, separate systems. It's not like the movie Hackers, you know, where you jack into someone's tower or whatever and suddenly you can control their lights. You need a smart home device for that, which Mr. Watson does not have. So you can't hack into his light bulbs. And even if you could, it's very unlikely that those light bulbs would be emitting some sort of ray that causes your livers and eyes to fail. There's such a thing as radiation poisoning. There are things like that. But your average light bulb wouldn't be emitting that because we've gone through a whole bunch of tests with light bulbs and we don't want them to harm people while they're using them. So that's where I'm coming from. I want to be as even-keeled as possible about this. From the uh, person outside of the situation, Lindsay, what are your thoughts? I mean, it, it honestly just sounds like somebody that's maybe a little detached from reality, um, reaching out to anybody that will listen to them in hopes yeah. that um, that will help. And it makes me think more about resources that we need for elderly people, especially in the LGBTQ community, because they're less likely to have familial support, um, children, things like that. That can turn into paranoia, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you are a queer black man who already suspects the government has it out for you. Yeah. Over time, if you are not going out or doing anything that can really warp your sense of self, there is help. Do you trust that help? So I don't want to mock him or, or say that his problems don't matter. I just think that maybe it's a different issue. I don't want to debunk it either because I genuinely don't know the other side of the story. I couldn't get a hold of anyone else. But as far as the courts are concerned, uh, he's filing in the wrong county. Yeah. So that's that's the main reason he's been rejected. There we go. Super bummer. SGNX files. <laughs> Not as fun as the one where someone kept calling the office to tell me about the aliens that have been reaching out to them. I want to know about the aliens. That's for another SGNX files segment. Thank you guys so much for listening. I thought that would be more fun than it was. <laughs> Sorry. Where I keep getting caught up is, why do you think he reached out to the Seattle Gay News for help? Because he didn't expound on that at all. Because this happens on occasion where I will get stories like this that I can't assign to anybody. Mm-hmm. Which is why I want to have this segment just trying to think about it like why why are they reaching out to seattle gay news specifically Hmm. the whole thing is just it's very i feel like it's very nuanced and we don't have enough of the information my thought i can share this is we have been for generations sort of a space for lost souls a safe haven um where you can just be who you are right so this man is looking anywhere he can for help i empathize with that because he's been failed by the system. He's been failed by his ex-military background. He doesn't understand how computers work because he's in his 70s. Yeah. So that's a lot of fear and a lot of hate and a lot of bitterness. Yeah. As somebody of a certain age where, you know, the government would not be on your side for any of those things. Um, I feel like that is something that could plug more mental health issues that we don't talk about or treat or address um, in these aging marginalized populations. So you never know, you know, the whole sides of it and you don't want to demonize, villainize, or make light of any kind of a mental illness. Um, but it is also quite uncanny when someone thinks that the government is hacking into their body. I don't know, I think it deserves discussion um, because the truth is, despite myself knowing the facts, I still don't know. I don't know what's causing his uh, health problems. 
and that mystery is still out there, and I don't know his background with computers or anything, so, you know, I figured Art Bell style will give them the time of day and, and discuss it a little bit uh, before moving on. Mm-hmm. And I think that actually is our, that's the show. Um, I appreciate everyone t- tuning in. We're over here working tirelessly to bring you quality information and all sorts of folks from all sorts of walks of life. And we would love it if you could donate, if you could buy some merch, it keeps us going. Um, if you are just a fan of Radio SGN and you don't read the paper, good news, like I said before, we do have Radio SGN merch up on the site, including the fabulous Patricia. <laughs> yeah, Lindsay, anything you'd like to say before we head out? Uh, no, just if you've got any kind of an interesting story that ties into being queer and you live in seattle let us know and you know we could put that in our x files yeah absolutely if you have anything inexplainable i have several unusual instances that i could go into detail that i think are fully they fully happened um from ghosts to cults to whatever um i've lived a life so i am 100 percent open to discussing the possibilities of your paranormal story um tune in and we'll we'll discuss it we'll go over the facts i'll do some research and this is not going to be an every episode thing just as it happens right so uh thank you guys so much for listening and as always we'll see you in the funny pages radio sgn is hosted by av eichenbaum and Lindsay Anderson, and produced by A.V. Eichenbaum. Music for this show was provided by T.R.G. Banks and Jesse Spillane, or was provided for free by Anchor. Thank you so much for listening. Check us out on sgn.org or wherever you find podcasts. <laughs>